Welcome, my friends. Today is the 30th of June, and we're here with many of our friends from the Immersion class, and we are going to be covering the Pembok Guide 7th edition. Now, as it says, curiosity kill the cat. So we're going to make sure we don't get too curious, but we're going to get a little bit curious. We're going to open it because I know lots of you who are getting ready for this PMP exam, you're beginning to wonder if you're missing out by not studying the seventh edition. And I want to just show you that you're not really missing out. The only thing I want you to really hone in on is the principles. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. I call this Pembuck Guide Seventh Turbo. If you are on YouTube watching us, feel free to put any chats, any comments, any questions. You do need to be a subscriber to the channel, so subscribe. Send in any questions you've got about the Pembuck Guide 7th edition. We're going to be demystifying it, all right? It's gonna go really quick. So this isn't gonna go as long as other videos I've put out. All right, so let's jump straight in. I wanna give a shout out to my friends here. Oh, Devin, good to see you. How are you doing, Devin? Good to see you on here. Doing good, thanks. Lovely, lovely. I see Chandra and Esther. Esther, good to see you. And Tanya, lovely. Got a lot more folks who might be joining us as we proceed, but let's jump straight in and talk about this seventh edition. So you do know around August last year, the PMI came out with an announcement that they were gonna release this seventh edition. We're not expecting it as quick. I think it was even maybe towards the end of July, I can't remember the exact date, but they came out with the announcement. And um, yeah, we're here taking a look at uh, Pembok Guide uh, 7th edition because the PMI have uh, released it. Now, part of the confusion that was going on last year was a lot of people didn't understand if uh, the presence of the 7th edition meant the exam was immediately changing. And the honest truth is it didn't immediately change. It took to January before PMI started announcing that the exam would change. But after January, we're now in June. And to be quite honest, the chatter on social media, the buzz among our students taking the test is that it hasn't made a big difference. It hasn't. So I'm gonna walk through it, specially tailored for you taking the PMP exam in 2022, 2023 perhaps, what exactly you need to hone in on, because I know many of you practitioners in the field, you've read the sixth edition, you have also read the Agile Practice Guide. So the question is, what does a seventh have to offer and why should I care? So let's jump into the Pembok Guide, seventh edition. Here we go. So my name's Phil, I've been a project management professional since 2005. And since I got certified, I've added a lot of these certifications to my collection. Um, the PMP exam is one of the most uh, renowned exams in the world. And if you wanna get certified, it's just good that you know what PMI has out there. Ground rules for the meeting, I'm gonna put everyone into classroom mode. So our friends who are here on Zoom, if you got any questions, always feel free to just send a chat. And at the right point, I will unmute. This is being streamed as you know, to uh, our friends on YouTube. Our friends on YouTube, if you've got any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. All right, introduction. So what exactly is this all about? We'll be talking about the introduction to the seventh edition, and then we'll go into a system for value delivery, which is a 
very important point uh, because it is new. When you hear about a value delivery system, you typically would say, hey, I don't remember that being in the sixth edition. It's because the seventh edition is the first place you see that terminology. And the summary is projects, programs, and portfolios along with operations being coordinated to deliver value. That's what the value delivery system is. So we'll talk about that a little bit, and then we'll go into project management principles. Now let's go way back in the time machine to when the pyramids of Giza were built, 2560 BC. You see, project management has been along, around for a very long time. It's not just something that we discovered in 2000 or 1990s. It's been around for a very long time. So at the end of the day, the Pembok Guide seventh edition that you see in 2021 has been through a lot of metamorphoses and journeys in the world of project management. And the big thing is in 1993, you can see the first Scrum project, you see the Agile Manifesto 2001, and that is what heralded the beginnings of this talk about hybrid, hybrid life cycles. First of all, started off with the um, Agile Manifesto coming on the scene and then people trying to combine methods. So over here, you can see hybridization, PMBOK guide, uh, seventh edition. This is heralded as being a, a hybrid flavor. Now, while people describe it as being hybrid, to be quite honest, it needs a lot more work before we can say it is truly hybrid. Uh, there's not enough agile in it. So if I were you and um, you asked the question, I'm getting ready for the PMP exam, Phil, if I just read uh, seventh edition, will that be sufficient? And the answer is no. Seventh edition does not have what this has. This has got a whole lot more agile than this. And those of you who've taken the exam in 2022, 2021, you know that it's pretty agile heavy for some people, not everyone, but for some people pretty agile heavy. So don't throw your agile practice guide away. Uh, you still need to read it to get good for your exam. Let's talk about the PMI. Who are they? They were founded in 1969, a nonprofit organization. Uh, they standardized project management practices and put the PMBOK guide on the map. And PMP, PGMP, and CAPM are some of their certifications. If you go way back to 1984, there were just 40 PMPs. But as at today, they are well over 1.2 million. At the time I put this together, there was 1 million in 2020. Now there's 1.2 million. So let's move into a few building blocks. If you wanna talk about project management, you gotta understand the iron triangle. Now this is from the world of DSDM. If you don't know DSDM, open your agile practice guide. It's one of the agile flavors, one of the frameworks. And the DSM, DSDM triangle, when you turn it upside down, what you have is the scope, schedule and budget arrangements in the world of agile. So in the world of agile, scope is flexible. In the world of traditional, scope is fixed. And that's why we talk about turning the triangle upside down. You can see right here, we've got the traditional view where scope is fixed. But when you turn this triangle on its head, you can see that scope is flexible. We use the word estimated as well. So the bottom line is that there are two worlds. There's the world of predictive and the, then there's the world of agile. And the question is, can we fuse, bind the worlds together in some way? And the answer is yes, you could combine any of these, there's no law against it. So let's talk about PMBOK Guide 6 versus 7. The 6th edition had the five process groups, as you know them on the left, but the 7th edition, it broke down the PMBOK Guide into the system for value delivery and project management principles. It got rid of the initiating planning and all that stuff. Now, it's not to say this is irrelevant. It's just to say that PMI is presenting the information in a different way in the 7th edition. 
taking a look at the sixth edition, we've got the knowledge areas, but taking a look at the seventh edition, we've got these things called domains. Okay, so my goal tonight is to go through these extremely rapidly with you so that you can see what you might need to close any gaps on. In my mind, if you've been through training with me, a lot of this stuff you already know. It's just in a different flavor. The principles, you might not have heard them. Uh, those taking the CAPM exam, don't sweat the principles. In fact, if you're taking the CAPM, I take it that you're just watching for entertainment purposes because none of this stuff applies to your CAPM in 2022. The PMI just announced that the CAPM changes will no longer be 2022, they're gonna be 2023. So keep that in mind. All right, and the PMI have the standards plus digital content platform. It's really great. I've been on there taking a look at what they've got out there. They've got different methods and artifacts broken down into more detail. So instead of the PMBOK Guide 6 being, looking, being looked at as the finite collection of everything, uh, we need to be looking at it as just a piece of what the PMI recommends as good and best practices. Key terms and concepts as you get into the very first chapter of the PMBOK Guide 7th edition, so I just finished Roman numeral eight, and we're moving on. If you're following me in this book, we're moving along to page three, page four, five, and so on. So here we have outcomes being talked about, which is rather unique. In a PMBOK guide, we've never really defined what outcomes are, but outcomes are very important because you could get a deliverable and not get the desired outcome. So it says outcome, an end result or consequence of a process or project. Outcomes could include outputs and artifacts, but have a broader intent by focusing on the benefits and value that the project was undertaken to deliver. So what is benefits? What is value? Well, we could say value refers to the net quantifiable benefits that a user derives from a product, service, or result, as documented in the PEMBOK Guide 6th edition. The benefits and the value will lead to the outcome. Think about it like this. If one of your deliverables was a software system and you implement it in a company and you're expecting to get benefits and value from it and no one is using it, well, you haven't derived the outcome. The outcome that you were thinking of is that there will be cost savings, maybe even revenues, bigger revenues as a result of them using this system, but no one's using it. Therefore, you're not getting the outcome. All right. So that word outcome is important. And um, other definitions, we're not going to go too deep into them. Portfolio, a collection of all the work you're doing, a product, which is uh, usually a physical or even non-tangible thing that enables the end user to get some sort of value. A program is a collection of multiple interrelated projects. A project is a temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. Project management is the application of knowledge, skills, tools, and techniques to a project to get that end result, that outcome. You see, we've now introduced the word outcome. So in times past, in the sixth edition, we wouldn't use that language. Now we've begun to include the word outcome and the words benefits and value. And these are really important for project management in the world of PMI go forward. Let me read it really quickly, page four. Project management says, the application of knowledge, skills, tools, and techniques to project activities to meet project requirements. Project management refers to guiding the project work to deliver the intended outcomes. You see that? That's an addition. That was not there before. It's a good addition. Project teams can achieve the outcomes using a broad range of approaches, predictive, hybrid, and adaptive. You don't find that word early up 
upfront in the sixth edition, but you're seeing the word hybrid now, right? Project manager, the person assigned by the performing organization to lead the project. Project team, a set of individuals performing the work of the project to achieve its objectives. And then we have the system for value delivery, which I'm gonna go through with you. And then we have value. Like I said, it's the net quantifiable benefits, but PMI also include in the seventh edition, the worth, importance, or usefulness of something. Different stakeholders perceive value in different ways. And that pretty much concludes the key terms and concepts. Let me ask our friends on the call, you got any questions about what I've talked about so far? Does it all make sense? Is it business as usual or is there anything causing you panic? Why don't you share with me? Easy peasy stuff, right? I'm gonna take it, it is, okay? A.B. Lobos, good to see you on YouTube. Hey, if you can come in, you know you've gotten the meeting invite. If you wanted to join us in here, go ahead and do that. Uh, Ebony, thank you very much for joining. Welcome to Praiseon Honorary. Always a pleasure to have you. And Ebony says, I'm planning to take my exam in August, and I'm confused as to what edition I should study from. Ebony, don't be confused. Just focus for now on the content that has been around for a while. PMBOK Guide 6 is sufficient for your understanding of processes, for your understanding of the inputs and the techniques and the tools and the outputs. As far as the seventh edition, since you're here right now, okay, you need to be asking me any questions from the content I'm gonna share because I am covering everything tonight. It's gonna to go very quick. There's not a whole lot more that we need to add to the sixth, okay? If you have understood the sixth and that's what you're focusing on, the seventh edition editions that we're doing tonight are going to help you, okay? So if you have any points of confusion as I'm going through this, Ebony, I want you to let me know. And by the way, Ebony, as one of our honorary members, and thank you very much for joining, I want you to go ahead and send an email to support at praiseon.com so that we can go ahead and get you all of the benefits of you joining this program on YouTube because we have a lot of videos on YouTube that are hidden only to members like you, all right? So go ahead and shoot an email and I will get back to you as soon as possible. All right. So it sounds like we're all good. Our friends on the call don't have any questions. So we're gonna jump into part two which is a system for value delivery. So why don't you follow me? This is a rather intriguing term. Sounds very ominous, but it's not. It's on page seven of the Agile, not Agile Practice Guide, PMBOK Guide 7, <laughs> I wish. All right, let's go ahead and read page seven. It says, the information in this section provides a context for value delivery, governance, project functions, the project environment, and product management. So there, there are five big buckets. One is creating value. Two is organizational governance systems. Three is functions associated with projects. Four is the project environment. And five is product management considerations. Now, let me give you the high level. If you've read even a page of the Agile Manifesto, hopefully you understand the concept of adding value, right? We add value to the customer and we wanna do it early and we wanna do it often. 
we could create value in a wide variety of ways. But when you boil it down to the organization, to the enterprise, we're talking about projects, programs, portfolios. So the value delivery system we're gonna be talking about here is pretty much your projects, programs, and portfolios. All right, so projects exist within a larger system, such as a governmental agency, organization, or contractual arrangement. Various components such as portfolios, programs, projects, products, and operations that can be used individually and collectively to create value are termed as value delivery components. Working together, these components comprise a system for delivering value that is aligned with the organization's strategy. Now, I quite like their breakdown. I like the way they've broken it down. They've broken it down by piecing apart the portfolios, the programs in the portfolio, along with the projects in the portfolio. And you can see here we have portfolio A that's got programs in it. Those programs have got projects. We've got portfolio B that has got projects in the portfolio that are standalone. And at the same time, it's got a program that has projects. See that? Now, at the same time, we also have a standalone set of projects that are not in any portfolio. See that? And then we also have projects within a program. So you've got portfolio A with its programs and projects, portfolio B with its programs and with its program and projects. And then we've got standalone programs that are not under a portfolio. And then we've got projects that are not in a program. This is the concept of a value delivery system. So why don't we turn the page over, take a look at page nine. When you take a look at page nine, you see the system for value delivery. Now, if we add a layer on top of that, we can see that we also have the operations that support the business. You add another layer on top of that, and you can see that the projects, programs, and portfolios that make up the system for value delivery, along with the operations, they all exist in an internal environment. And you can see we have an external environment which is outside of the firm. All of these components make up the value delivery system. That's it. It's that simple. So if you're looking at page 10, that's that. Any questions about this stuff or any points of confusion to clarify? Does it all make sense? Can you chat in the chat box, my friends on Zoom? Let me know if it makes sense. Carice, welcome. Let me know if it makes sense. Go ahead and put, give me a chat in the chat box. Make sense? A.B. Lobos and uh, my friend Ebony, does it make sense? Give me some assurance. Wanna make sure that everything here makes sense to you, yeah? It does look familiar, exactly. That's my point. That's exactly my point. Very familiar, right? Yeah, you're right. Good. Very familiar. That's it. So from what we've covered so far, you can see that you've not really missed anything in your studying. All right. So let's move on. Let's move on to the next topic. So now you've got an idea of the value delivery system, but I want to show you how I relate to it in such a way that I would remember it. So I look at it as an aquarium. I look at it as an aquarium. I look at the portfolios as being these 
boulders over here. I look at projects as being the smaller pebbles, programs as the rocks, operations as being the water, the outcomes, benefits. I give them all names. So in my head, portfolios are the boulders, programs are the rocks, projects are the pebbles, the operations is the water, the outcomes is the satisfaction and the bliss. You just got to relate it to something so that you remember. And the benefits, clean water, CO2, and a nice view for the fish, and the value, a clean, pleasant abode. Whatever you want to do to remember the components that PMI have shown you here, go ahead and do it. But it's very basic, very basic. If you read the six, this should be fine. Now let's talk about the way information flows, page 11. It says information flow, a value delivery system works most efficiently when information and feedback are shared consistently among all components, keeping the system aligned with strategy and attuned to the environment. So what you're seeing here is the way the strategy flows from senior leadership to the portfolio management and how the desired outcomes, benefits and value need to flow from the portfolios and be communicated to the programs and projects and how the programs and projects need to provide deliverables with support and maintenance information to operations. The operations will flow back information for updates, fixes, and adjustments. The programs and projects will flow back performance information and progress because, of course, you know they always want to know how's the project going. And the portfolios are going to report up to senior leadership about portfolio performance information. And that's how it flows overall. The outcomes, benefits, value, and performance analysis will also flow back into senior leadership, and everyone who is a stakeholder will be aware of the outcomes, the benefits, and the value performance. Now, moving on to organizational systems on the next page, page 12, it says, the governance system works alongside the value delivery system to enable smooth workflows, manage issues, and support decision-making. Government, government systems provide a framework with functions and processes that guide activities. So all they're saying is governance, which is the framework within which authority is exercised, needs to be in these organizations and used to preside over this value delivery system so that there's order and structure. Now, as for those folks who say, oh, there's too much order and structure in all this PMBOK talk, don't forget that in the world of Scrum, there's a 353 configuration. So there is a measure of governance, even in the world of Scrum. And Scrum is used by a gazillion companies. 12 million thereabouts was the last time I checked out. And a lot of these companies, they are agile in their thinking, but they know that if there's no governance, things fall apart. So there's nothing wrong with governance. Now, talking about governance, there's certain functions associated with projects. So these are the kinds of ideas you need to be thinking about when we say governance. There's nothing wrong in providing oversight and coordination, presenting objectives and feedback. Someone's got to be accountable for that, responsible for that. In the world of Scrum, we talk about the product owner being accountable for the product value, being captured, realized, understood, the prioritization of the backlog. So all of these functions that we associate with projects, they aren't bad. Now, in the world of Agile, you do know that a lot of these functions are not done by the project manager because there is technically none. Even though on your exam, you find project manager in almost every question, right? They don't really call the project manager the other roles that are talked about on page 41 of the Agile Practice Guide, like facilitator, scrum master, and so on. They don't do that all the time. So it's important that when you're taking your exam, you realize that 
Some of these functions in the world of Agile are actually distributed among team members. But in the world of predictive, we find um, the project manager doing these things, right? So provide oversight and coordination, present objectives and feedback, facilitate and support, perform work and contribute insights, apply expertise, provide business direction and insight, provide resources and direction and maintain governance. But let's talk about 237. So follow me to page 15. I want to talk about resources and direction. It says, people in this function promote the project and communicate the organization's vision, goals, and expectations to the project team and broader stakeholder community. They advocate for the project and the project team by helping to secure the decisions, resources, and authority that allow project activities to progress. People in this function serve as liaisons between senior management and the project team. Does that sound familiar? So these functions are not always carried out by a PM. You could have a PM with a lot of clout doing some of this, but in a lot of these situations, you would find someone like a sponsor, for example. It says, people in this function serve as liaisons. They remove obstacles and address issues outside the bounds of the project team's decision authority. People in this function provide an escalation path for problems, issues, or risks that the project team cannot resolve or manage on their own, such as shortage of funding or other resources or deadlines that cannot be met. So you get the idea that not everything here is gonna be PM. It also says governance. Let's take a look at 238 on page 16. People who fill a governance function approve and support recommendations made by the project team and monitor project progress in achieving the desired outcomes. They maintain linkages between project teams and strategic or business objectives that can change over the course of the project. All right, so these may be people outside of the project, people who are senior and so on. Let's take a look at a fun question as usual. I'm gonna go ahead and launch the poll. You know the way it works, it's all anonymous. So no one can see what we are selecting. Go ahead and uh, choose whatever you think is the best option. Our friends on YouTube, why don't you go ahead and uh, just type in the letter of the alphabet. All right. A.B. Lobo says, working night, so I'm in and out. No problem, absolutely no problem. We'll catch up again next week. All right, no problem. Good to see you, A.B. Lobos, lovely. Our friends on YouTube, remember you can always be part of this conversation. If you're not a subscriber, let's go ahead and subscribe. And uh, within five minutes, you'll be able to throw in your question and uh, get it answered. All right. So what do you think the answer to this is? Lovely stuff, my friends, on Zoom. Let's end the poll. Three, two, and one. Brilliant work, brilliant work. You see, that was so easy. What's all the fear about the seventh edition? There's no need to be worried about the seventh edition. To be quite honest, it's not as if you're missing a whole lot. The answer to this is control the company revenues. That is clearly not one of the functions associated with the project. The closest you would get to that was a topic of governance. Let's move on and talk about the project environment. My oh my, is this one of the interesting controversial changes, huh? So what PMI did 
in the Pembok Guide 7th edition was unceremoniously take away the terms people have been used to for so many years, which is EEFs and OPAs. So uh, you can get the seventh edition if you're a member of the PMI, Kareem, good to see you on here. Just go on down to the PM, PMI website, you're a member, log in, go to the standards and you'll see it, you'll be able to download it, okay? For our friends just coming on YouTube, welcome, welcome. We're taking a look at the Pembroke Guide seventh edition. We're taking it apart. We're doing it rather speedily. We're, we're trying to get this done in about an hour thereabouts. And uh, we're trying to get through the main nuts and bolts of the seventh so that you don't have to spend time reading both the six and the seventh. There's really no need for you to pull your hair out about the seventh. Very straightforward, it's pretty lightweight. The only thing is if you don't have the background of the sixth, you struggle. Like you, you saw some of my uh, friends here on the Zoom saying, no big deal, Phil. And it's because I've got a very strong grounding in the six. For those folks that don't, they would struggle just jumping in here, trying to get all the information that exists in chapters one, two, and three in the sixth edition. Okay. So let's jump uh, into the project environment. Like I said, it's rather controversial. And I said it's controversial in that uh, for the longest time, we've always said EEFs and OPAs. But in the seventh edition, it's just known as the project environment, that simple and bland. So there, there are two pieces to the environment. There's the internal environment and there's the external environment. So if you follow with me into Pembok Guide, page 16 and 17, let's take a look at what is in the internal environment. All right, internal environment. And the very first thing that you see here is process assets. Does that sound familiar? That looks very much like your uh, OPAs, but because OPAs exist within the confines of the company, it's been referred to as part of the internal environment, governance, documentation, data assets, knowledge assets, security and safety, organizational culture, structure and governance, which used to be an EEF is now just called internal environment geographic distribution of facilities, infrastructure, IT software, resource availability, and employee capability. All of that is on page 16 and 17. Internal, it makes sense, right? Let's take a look at the next one real quick. External environment, go take a look at page 18. We've got marketplace conditions. Aha, this sounds more like external EEFs. So you gotta understand the external EEFs a little bit closer now because we call this the external environment. Marketplace conditions, social and cultural influences and issues, regulatory environment, commercial databases, academic research, industry standards, financial considerations, and physical environment. All right, so quick poll. Let's go and see how much of this stuff you retained. And let's launch the poll. All right, external environments include what? Let's see if you can crack this code. Our friends on YouTube, feel free to just go ahead and type in a letter of the alphabet if you can. And now someone's saying, Phil, this is 
little bit dubious. Is it really? <laughs> All right. Three, two, and one. All right. Did you catch the little trickery there? A little trickery is that option D looks quite plausible until you take a look at the first part. Has that ever happened to you when you're looking at an answer on the PMP or any exam and you just look at what comes last, but you, you didn't think about what comes first, the resource availability. Let's go back a few, a few slides and the resource availability. Did you catch that that is internal environment? Yeah, it's internal. So the answer is not D, the answer is B. It's academic research. There you go. So you gotta look up for that little trickery in your PMP questions. All right, let's move on from here and talk about product management considerations. Page 18, product management can exist in different forms, including but not limited to program management within a product lifecycle, project management within a product lifecycle, and product management within a program. It's quite straightforward. What are they saying? Program management can be done when you've got a significant product. So the product lifecycle can have program management in it. You could have project management within a product lifecycle. After all, what is a product lifecycle? It's the cycle of life from the inception of the product all the way to its obsolescence, demolition, whatever it is. So you could have project management several times within a product lifecycle. And then you can have product management within a program. A large program can have product management in it. Now let's take a look at this brilliant illustration that the PMI have given us here on page 19. What you can see here is a sample product life cycle. Now, what exactly is PMI trying to show you? They're trying to show you that in the cycle of a life of a product, you can have introduction, growth, maturity, and then the decline, the obsolescence I was talking about, or the ultimate uh, demolition of a structure, whatever it is. And then you can have different projects along the way, like project one is the initial creation, project two, you're adding more features, project three, you're putting on some additions, some revisions in four, five, and six, and the ultimate retirement, you know, case in point, Adobe Flash. Well, I'm talking about like Flash that was used for animation, and then people deemed it not secure, and that was the end of Flash. So it lived a good life, but that's the end of Flash, right? Most products come to the point where they have to be uh, retired, especially technology type stuff. Okay, good, good, good. Let's move on. So the agile evolution, agile evolution. Let's take a look. Agile has evolved. First of all, it wasn't called agile. We had lean. And then in 1991, uh, unified process, 1994, rad, and then Scrum hit in 1995, wasn't that popular for a while. And then Crystal, which is now obsolete, FDD is still around. Well, let me say absolutely obsolete, still around. XP, very much around, but very few companies use Crystal. It's in the Agile Practice Guide though. And it's got some brilliant configurations as far as sizing of projects and tailoring, right? So if you wanna get an idea of, of tailoring, uh, for real-world application, just take a look at Crystal. You get some good ideas from it, right? And one of the uh, Agile Manifesto co-signators, uh, Alistair Coburn, is behind that, right? So one of the great minds in, in Agile. And by the way, if you've not tuned in 
to any of Alistair Coburn's uh, YouTubes or any of those symposium things he does and you find the videos out there on YouTube, just search Alistair Coburn, one of the best minds in Agile and uh, also responsible for the heart of Agile. He is behind Crystal. All right, so take a look at that. 2001, the Agile Manifesto came on the scene. Scrum Alliance came on the scene. Uh, 2005, <laughs> that should be Declaration of Interdependence. And 2017, what do you know? The PMI decided that they had been laggards in the industry and they decided to come out with this thing. And there you can see the Agile Alliance. They partnered up with the Agile Alliance. And my goodness, don't you think this is a good, a good piece of literature? I think it is. I think it is. I mean, it's PMI did well on that one. And I'm, I'm hoping that the next edition will be even better. But that has been kind of the agile evolution. So when you take a look at the seventh edition and the, the few, just few, few minuscule mentions of agile, you kind of get an understanding of where PMI is coming from. All right. So gently, gently, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, let's talk about the project management principles. Principles serve as a foundation. The PMI Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct is a base. You've got responsibility, respect, fairness, and honesty. It's absolutely important that you read the Code of Ethics before your PMP exam, because when you're signing up to say, oh, I've read it, you're actually checking that checkbox on your application. So if you haven't read it, you really shouldn't be checking that checkbox. You get what I mean? All right, the PMI Code of Ethics includes, this is 101, 101. Go ahead, uh, choose an option. Let's see if you remember what I just showed you. All right, what is the answer? Okay, hold on a second. Let me, let me be kind. Let me go ahead and let me say, why don't we uh, reconfigure this poll? Give me a second because I know what you're thinking. You're like, Phil, really? This is not fair. Why don't I add, select all that apply? Let's see what you come up with. Select all that apply. And on the PMP, you gotta be careful with select all that applies. All right. Okay, three, two, and one. Let's go one slide back and take a little peek. Responsibility, respect, fairness, and honesty. So it can't be B and it can't be C, right? Bureaucracy isn't good, we don't want that. Resiliency is not one in the code of ethics, so it's A and D, okay? A little trick there, A and D. All right, moving along. We have these principles overlapping with general management principles. And that's why when you take a look at it, you're like, my goodness, I've seen this in another walk of life somewhere. I've seen this in my company. I've seen this as I serve the military. I've seen this in the operations facility that I worked in. Very similar. All right. So let's take a look at the principles, first of all, at a high level, and then we'll go into a lot of detail. All right, I'll just take them off one by one and you can follow along. The first one is stewardship. Be a diligent, respectful, caring steward. Second, collaboration. Create a collaborative project team environment. Number three, stakeholders. Effectively engage with stakeholders. Number four, value. Focus on value. 
Number five, systems. Recognize, evaluate, and respond to systems interaction. Number six, leadership. Demonstrate leadership behaviors. Number seven, tailor. Tailor based on context. Number eight, quality. Build quality into processes and deliverables. Number nine, complexity. Navigate complexity. Number 10, optimize risk responses. That's risk. Number 11, adaptability, embrace adaptability and resiliency. And number 12, change, enable change to achieve the envisioned future state. Now let's go through these with a little bit more detail. Stewardship, we need to be thinking about being diligent, respectful, caring stewards by showing integrity, care, trustworthiness and commitment. So the first principle about stewardship includes which of the following? Let me show you the previous slide for one more second. All right, and let's go and launch the poll. I know lots of you will just go by intuition and you will get it right. Good job. Thank you, hey, my friend Brandon, good to see you, Brandon. I hope you're doing well. Brandon, do you have any questions? I didn't catch any message you might've sent earlier. Do you have any questions about any of this stuff? Let me know. All right, three, two, did I launch the poll or I didn't? I'm sorry, silly me, I didn't launch the poll. Let me launch it for our friends here. Let's go ahead, stop and relaunch. There you go, uh, single option, just one option, okay? First principle about stewardship. Okay, good, good. All right, so let's go a step back. Let's just go a step back and you can take a look at it for yourself. So at a high level, we had integrity, care, trustworthiness and commitment, right? Trustworthiness and commitment. So when you really look at it, I guess to be fair, it should really say none of the options. So it's integrity, care, trustworthiness. You see the trickery there? It should actually say none of the options. So if I changed it to none of the options, that would make more sense. Now I know why you were struggling with it. All right, so let me just say that this was not a very fair quiz because I should have said none of the options. I should have crossed that out and said none of the options. So this is kind of the trickery you, you, you will get where you could have none of the options and nothing here applies because it's not about rewards and it's not about remuneration and it's not about compliance. All right. I didn't mean to make it tricky. I wasn't, I wasn't testing, testing you in that regard. All right. So you get the idea. All right, let's move on to team. All right. So here we are in team. The key things to think about are alignment, learning, and contributions. So if you open up, the seventh edition with me, let's go to 3.2. And just so you know, if you're looking for 3.2, you gotta be careful that you don't go to part two in the seventh edition because the seventh edition is broken into two parts and they're numbered differently. So page one in, in part two will take you to the wrong place. So let's go to part one 
and 3.2 on page 28. So it says, create a collaborative project team environment. So we talk about alignment. What we're talking about alignment here means you are aligning with other organizational cultures and guidelines, learning, individual and team learning and development is key for the team. And the last one is contributions, optimal contributions to deliver desired outcomes. So what does team remind you of? What kind of, what kind of, what chapter does team remind you of in, in the sixth edition for those of you who've read it? Anyone have any ideas, concept of team? Team charter. Team charter, and which chapter is that? In the PEMBOX? You remember which knowledge area that is? Who remembers the knowledge area? Any of our friends? Oh, the knowledge area, you mean like their resource management? Yeah, there you go, that's what I'm talking about. Resource management, you got it, you got it. Good, 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 okay. So that's team. You can see that these principles are pretty straightforward. There's nothing too difficult uh, in understanding them. Let's look at stakeholders. Effectively engage with stakeholders. Remember your stakeholders influence the projects. Remember teams serve stakeholders and engagement en enhances value. These are, are things you already know. So stakeholder engagement is, what would you say? Based on your understanding of what you have read in the uh sixth edition what would you say stakeholder engagement is what okay let's end it three two and one okay let's end it and share the results so it, it is critical stakeholder engagement it's critical for success because if your stakeholders are not engaged your project is likely going to fail right let's read page 31 it says stakeholders influence projects performance and outcomes so if they're influencing outcomes my goodness it's critical because we're after the outcomes remember and then it says Stakeholders can be individuals, groups, or organizations. What can they affect a decision, activity, or outcome? So they're really critical for project success. If our stakeholders are not taking part in the project, we've got problems, see? And stakeholder engagement, not just planning how to engage your stakeholders, but actually engaging them is a recipe for success. All right, so we would say stakeholder engagement is critical. It's really critical for success. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about value, focus on value. Value is the ultimate indicator. It could be realized at any point and it could be tangible or intangible. Now, the topic of value is talked about well in the sixth edition on page seven and also page 33, okay? So according to PMI, value is, what? If you're following along and you're looking at page 34, it's the very first bullet on page 34 in the PMBOK guide 7th edition. Let me go ahead and relaunch the poll. No trickery in this one, I promise. Go ahead. All right, 
So value, let's end the poll. Value doesn't always have to be tangible. It could be intangible, right? So the best option is not C, it's A, right? It says value is the ultimate indicator of project success. If people are not deriving value and benefits from what you did, then your project is not a success. It's a white elephant project. Moving on, systems thinking. It says, recognize, evaluate, and respond to systems interactions. A project is a system. System thinking looks at a holistic view. It entails taking a holistic view of how projects, project parts interact with each other. Systems are constantly changing and systems thinking is all about being responsive to system interaction. So as a project manager, you wanna have that big picture idea about systems and uh, systems thinking. Here's a question. According to PMI, which of these is true based on what we just read? Let's go ahead. Let's launch the poll. What do you think? All right, so for those friends of mine in the future, my future friends who might be watching this in 2023, taking the CAPM exam, questions like this, pay close attention because on the CAPM, they're really after the lingo. So a question like this is fair game. Let's end it, three, two, and one. All right, and let's share the results. And the right answer to this is, a project is a system. But if you take a look at option B, that's not entirely right. It's not occasional. It says systems are constantly changing, bullet three on page 37, requiring consistent attention to internal and external conditions. See that? All right, let's move on here. Let's go to our next one. Leadership, demonstrate leadership behaviors. Leadership is influence. Effective leadership promotes success and anyone can lead. Leadership is not about authority. Effective leaders adapt and there are motivational differences understood from the perspective of a leader. A leader understands that every person is different. And that's why we talk about situational leadership, which is also, by the way, talked about in the seventh edition, much later on under the methods, models and artifacts. Honesty, integrity, ethical conduct are things that we should be thinking about, all right? So which of these terms best describes leadership? You probably notice that all these questions I've been giving you do not necessarily have to have come from the seventh edition. So it just shows you how agnostic uh, this whole thing could be. Good job. Thank you, Ebony, for participating. Thank you, Brandon, for participating. Our other friends on YouTube, if you want to be part of the discussion, send in any questions, uh, just go ahead and uh, become a subscriber to the channel, and you'll be able to type in any questions, and I'll take them live right this moment. All right. Thank you very much. Let's go ahead and end the poll. Three, two, and one. I know our friends are thinking about the answer. My mentor, John C. Maxwell, we call him America's leadership guru. He said, the true measure of leadership is 
influence. Nothing more, nothing less. It's influence, my friends. That's it. It's influence. Leadership is not about authority. It's not about position. It's not about title. Those things just come with a job. But what makes you a true leader is your ability to influence, right? So it best describes leadership. That's not to say that someone in an authority uh, role or position couldn't be looked at as a leader. That's true. But leadership at its essence is not about authority or position because you can have some dreadful, dreadful, horrible people that are in roles of authority or position. They're not leaders, right? So the best description of leadership is influence. And let's even take a step back and look at the worst leaders, right? The worst leaders, like the Hitlers of this world. Let's not even go down the laundry list. They influence, but in a negative way, a bad way, draconian way. All right, so leadership is all about influence. Let's move on to tailor in, tailor in. Tailor based on context. Each project is unique. Success is based on adapting. Most appropriate methods being observed and incorporated is what tailoring is all about. And tailoring is iterative and continuous. All right, so according to PMI, what did you glean from what I just said? Here's the poll, let's relaunch. And you're saying, Phil, you're asking a lot of questions per slide. I got to make sure you got it because we're only doing one pass through the seventh edition. Got to get it once and move on. All right. If you're wondering where we are, we are on page 44. All right, so let's take a step back. So tailoring is iterative and continuous. You catch that, okay? It's a constant process. So all of the options were correct. Thank you very much, my friends. You're really paying attention, awesome. Let's go on to page 47, quality. Build quality into processes and deliverables. So what is quality all about? Satisfying stakeholder expectations. I apologize for the goofy letters showing at the bottom. On the last computer I did this on while I was in the UK, everything looked good. <laughs> now that I'm here, it's looking a bit weird. But satisfying stakeholder expectations, fulfilling project and product requirements, meeting deliverable acceptance criteria, and project quality uh, is effective and uh, making it as effective as possible is what that should say. So everything's kind of skewed, but you get the idea. So the bottom line is we got to build quality into our processes and deliverables. We've got to be Kaizen in our thinking. It says here on page 47, project quality entails satisfying stakeholders' expectations and some more stuff fulfilling project and product requirements. Quality focuses on meeting acceptance criteria for deliverables. Project quality entails ensuring project processes are appropriate and as effective as possible is what it should have read. All right, let's go ahead and launch the poll for this one. Let's see if you can decipher. All right, well done. I can see we've got a polarized result. Let's end the poll and let's share the results.
So did you catch the word inappropriate? So if you are on your PMP exam, what I expect you to be doing, CAPM exam alike, words that are out of whack, you just got to cancel that whole thing. It says aggravating stakeholders. You don't want to do that. It can't be all of the options because you don't want to aggravate stakeholders and you don't want to ensure processes are inappropriate. So the best answer is a B. You see that? You got to keep your eye on the ball. On the ball. Okay. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Living Nine Knowledge. Good to see you. Thank you for being one of our subscribers. Always a pleasure to see you on the channel. Thank you for your chats and so on. Good deal. For our friends who are just coming, just understand that uh, we're going through the seventh edition rather speedily. Um, I actually put this together, believe it or not, for you so that you can get through the seventh edition speedily. I hear a lot of people getting a little bit scared of the seventh edition and with PMI's uh, 2022 exam seeming a little bit all over the place and uh, hybrid and stuff. So if you have got any questions about this, you need to put them in the chat for me. If you haven't subscribed, Go ahead, be a subscriber, send in your questions so that I can answer it for you. This is your session, okay? I did this last year and, you know, just like food, some certain videos, they kind of are a little bit outdated. They're not really relevant to the 2022. So even though I've trained this before, I want to address that whole topic of people asking, should I read the seventh? And honestly, if you are one of my students, you already know what I have to say about this. I simply tell you, stick with what we've got, right? I simply tell you if you've got the immersion book, the immersion book, the PMP exam immersion, 600 pages of agile and predictive, there's absolutely no need for you to go pick that thing up. That's why I'm having this session tonight for you, okay? So you don't have to pick it up. All right, my YouTube followers, wherever you are, Instagram, Facebook, same thing. I hate people wasting time like combing through pages, pages and pages and getting freaked out, which is why I put these videos out because I was in your position at one point in time trying to get this exam down pat, so much information. So I want to focus on what is most relevant, all right? So that's the purpose behind today's session. All right, you get the idea about this, so let's move on. Here we go. <laughs> Brandon, you, you want to tell people it? No, don't tell people in chat what you did, Brandon. No, PMI might be listening to you, so don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Brandon knows what he did. He knows what he did. All right, let's continue. Complexity. Navigate complexity. You know, one of the best ways of navigating complexity is being iterative and incremental. In other words, being agile in your approach. That is one of the best ways. So when we talk about complexity, complexity could come from a variety of areas. And these areas are well covered. Actually, this is one of my favorite principles because it talks about different types of complexity and sources of it, page 51. So it says, sources of complexity are human behavior, the interplay of conduct, demeanors, attitudes, and experience of people, systems interactions, the way systems behave, uncertainty and ambiguity. And you should realize that complexity could emerge at any point. In the beginning, 
all seems hunky-dory. It seems like, oh, we, we're off to a great finish. And all of a sudden, boom, you just get hit with a wave of complexity. And it brings the project to its knees and people can't figure out. And it takes some iterative approaches and incremental approaches, agile, all right? So if you haven't read the Agile Practice Guide, page 14, where we talk about the Stacy model, the Stacy complexity model. If you haven't read this page, right? You can barely see, uh, no, no worries, never mind. Well, if you go to page 14, you'll come across the Stacy model and you'll be able to see that predictive is not dead, right? It has its place for simple zone type stuff. But the whole argument for Agile is evident when you take a look at those projects with a high level of uncertainty in the requirements and a high level of uncertainty in the technical uh, perspective and approach, it makes sense that you need to be more agile. All right, so this principle is just sensitizing you to be able to navigate complexity, right? Uncertainty and ambiguity could generate some complexity. It could be triggered by events and conditions. So just stay vigilant. Use methods to reduce the amount and impact of complexity. Let's move on to the next one here. The next one here is about risk. It's one of my favorites. Uncertainty that matters is how my buddy, the risk doctor defines risk. Risk is positive or negative uncertainty that matters. So you could have individual risks in tasks. You could have overall project risk and you wanna be addressing this continually. We talk about risk attitude, risk appetite, threshold. They all influence behavior. Risk appetite is really a measure of how much risk you're willing to take on to pursue an opportunity. With risk, you wanna respond appropriately, effectively, and realistically. Your approach to responding to risk should be agreed upon, and you should also have risk owners. So all this great stuff is talked about, right? It says risk should be owned by a responsible person. All right, let's talk about risk in a quick poll. I am always sending you polls because for many of you, this is a little bit new. Project risk management should be what? All right, just put your answer in the chat. My friends on YouTube, thank you very much for participating in the exercises. I hope you are learning. If you are learning anything from this, go ahead and just hit that like button and make sure you share the video with your friends. The video will be up shortly after we're done and you can go back and watch it as many times as you like. All right. <laughs> I see that, Brandon. That's good. That would be a risk, right? That would be a risk. Let's end the poll and let's share the results. Boom, you didn't fall into those cheap traps. Good, good, my friends. I'm glad you didn't fall into those cheap traps. So. Did you notice it said cost effective in meeting personal goals? You, you folks are getting wiser. You're getting smarter. Good job. Excellent. It's not B and it's definitely not C. Did you catch operations context? That's a trick. And of course, you don't want it to be disagreed. So it's one of those got to pay attention. The answer is A. Great stuff. 
All right, we're almost done with the principles. You're really doing brilliantly. 11, adaptability and resiliency. Embrace adaptability and resiliency. Adaptability, what is it? It's the ability to respond to changing conditions. Page 55, right? Resiliency is all about the ability to absorb impacts and to recover, right? And focus on outcomes. A focus on outcomes rather than outputs facilitates adaptability. So you've got to keep your eye on, are we getting towards the outcome? Let's not focus on the minutia. Let's look at the big picture, right? And that enables you to become more adaptable, to be flexible, to be agile. Agile is an adaptability approach. It's a way of thinking. So when we say adaptability, embrace adaptability, we're really saying be agile, right? It's not the strongest of the species that survives, is it? It's the ones that are most adaptable to change, right? The moths who are able to survive are the ones who adopted the color of the trees they were on, not the ones who retain their original beige color. All right, let's move on. Resiliency is best described as what? Let me go ahead and give you a couple of options to choose. Let's go ahead and relaunch, okay? So based on what we've just said, what do you think? So you can find the answers on page 55 of the Pembroke Guide 7th edition, three, two, and one. Let's end the poll and let's share the results. Okay, so if you take a look here, there's quite a lot. It says adaptability is the ability to respond to changing conditions, right? So the ability to respond to change summarized pretty much, that's A, which is correct. Resiliency is ability to absorb, uh, but this is asking about resiliency. So did you catch that? Not adaptability. It says resiliency is the ability to absorb impacts and to recover quickly from a setback or failure. So that is B. Um, and then it says a focus on outcomes rather than outputs facilitates adaptability. So they were not really asking about adaptability, they were asking about resiliency. So, sorry, it's kind of like a trick again, the best answer is B, okay? And again, I gave you multiple options to choose from. PMI would do that to you, I didn't intend to, it just so happened, but you learned something, okay? You learned something. Possibly maybe only choose one, if you truly only believe in one, I don't know, anyway. I did not do that intentionally. I promise I did not. I know the PMI would though. They lay traps in wait. Thank you for that chat. Uh, Levine, live, in, live nine knowledge and one Trinid Douglas. Thank you very much. You were able to catch the trick. Yes, you went with B only. That's okay. We're learning from this stuff. All right, let's go to our final one. 
final one here is change. So let's change over to page 58. And it says enable change to achieve the envisioned future state. It says here, a structured approach to change helps individuals, groups, and the organization transition from current to a future state. Change originates internally and from external. Changes can originate from internal influences or external sources. Enabling change can be challenging as not all stakeholders embrace change. Attempting too much change in a short time can lead to change fatigue and or resilience. Resistance, I beg your pardon. Stakeholder engagement and motivation approaches assist in change adoption. So the bottom line is as a leader, we got to enable change. There's a lot of information about change in other chapters in the seventh edition, but we're not going to go into all of them. We're only going to take a look at one more question, trick question. All right, there's only one answer for this one. So I'm going to go ahead and be civil and give you a one option poll. There we go. So according to PMI, too much change could lead to what? Or could what? All right, three, two, and one. Okay, let's end the poll and share the results. All right, so option D says, according to PMI, too much change is not possible because change always contributes. No, it's possible to have too much change. It says, attempting too much change, this is page 58. Attempting too much change in a short time can lead to change fatigue and or resistance. So the best answer is B. Okay, I know it's all new, but it should make sense that you could have too much change. You know, I've actually accused PMI of too much change. I, you know, I, I said, you changed the website, you didn't give us any heads up, you changed the seventh edition, you barely gave us time to even think about what you were doing and then you've done it. It's very possible. Now to all those negative people out there who are saying, well, you said all this stuff about the seventh edition, why are you teaching it? It's called change. <laughs> it's called change and adaptability. So when the PMI were talking about this book, they really hadn't given us enough to go off on. But when they released the book and I was able to go through it, I realized that while it is handicapped, let's not, let's not beat about the bush, this book, needs help it does it does okay but while it needs help wouldn't it be stupid for me to say all right students i don't believe in the seventh edition so i'm not going to say anything about it that's that's dumb so for those of you naysayers out there those of you haters who are talking rubbish you said the seventh edition was bad so why are you talking about it go suck a lemon <laughs> go suck a lemon. that's all i can say all right just a bit of humor all right, my friends, so we're done with the principles, okay? We're moving on to part two. Now, part two is gonna go quick. For those of you who are keeping record, did you know that we have covered 60, almost, almost 60, we're on slide 59. So you folks are troopers. You've gotten done with the entire seventh edition course almost. We've only got 10 more slides and we're done. And you don't even have to open the seventh ever again, ever again. 
hopefully. <laughs> Knock on wood, who knows? Anyway, so I call this the process group Pentagon. This is a reminder that there are five process groups, okay? And how many knowledge areas? Come on now, come on now, my people on the call, you know how many knowledge areas they are. Come on now. Who's gonna, who's gonna tell me how many knowledge areas they are? My scholars. Thank you, Tanya and Carice, lovely. All right, let's go to the next step of being a scholar, huh? My academicians in the room, you're probably counting and trying to figure out, huh? Which of those is missing? Because you figured out there's one that's missing. Who, who's figured it out? Come on now. Who's figured out the missing one? I know Esther, you normally search for the missing link. So Esther, have you figured it out? Esther hasn't figured it out on this occasion. Who's figured it out? I did, it's risk, it's risk. I know, I know. You see, I know my students, I know them. Well done, Esther, you are very correct. It's risk, the bullseye. The bullseye was missing, good job. Now, the reason why I'm showing you this is I want you to be able to build on top of your understanding of the sixth edition. All is not lost. What you need to do with the seventh edition is put a cushion, a layer of understanding of the principles. If you put the principles at the base, you're in business. So we've got the 12 principles as a base, the Pembok Guide 6th edition that you already know on top of the principles. And the next thing we are going to do, my friends, is build an understanding of the domains. There are eight domains that I'm going to show you here and we're gonna be done. And honestly, there's not a whole lot more to talk about. So let's go to the beginning of the domains. Those of you who have got the book, Follow along and you will not have to open this thing ever again. The very first domain I'm showing on the screen is stakeholder, the stakeholder performance domain. This is on page eight. It reads, the stakeholder performance domain addresses activities and functions associated with stakeholders. Simple, you've read the sixth edition, you've gleaned a lot of knowledge, it's not wasted. Okay, there's some more colorful and, you know, I would say different should be the word descriptions. Okay, for example, when we talk about stakeholders in the sixth edition, we don't talk about a particular cycle of life for understanding stakeholders, but in the seventh edition, what you have is identify, understand, analyze, prioritize, engage, and monitor. Now, honestly, is that something you wouldn't be able to figure out in a lineup? probably is, you could identify this in a lineup, 
but the PMI have put some more specificity around the things you do at a lower level. And that is what the entire domain focuses on, focuses on identify, understand and analyze, prioritize, engage, monitor, and then check results. Boom, that's it. It's really that simple, okay? Thank you, Kareem, no problem. So you kind of get the idea of what this is. You don't really don't need to do a whole lot. Okay, let's take a look at some more stuff. We've got the team domain, which maps back to resources, the development approach and lifecycle domain, which maps to integration, the planning domain, which maps to the planning process group, the project work performance domain, which maps to integration and executing, the project work performance domain could also be said to map in some way to communications. We have the delivery performance domain mapping to scope and quality. The uncertainty performance domain mapping to risk, obviously. The measurement performance domain mapping to cost and monitoring and controlling as a whole. And that's the end of the story. So if you take a look at this screen, what you have is a bunch of labels. The knowledge, the understanding, I wanna say 99% of it is already inherent in you. Think about it. Think about it for a second. How more crazily dramatic could it get? For someone who got certified in the 1990s, I know someone who got certified in the 1990s. So we talk about stakeholder engagement. Are there some new things, some new bands PMI has put in the process name? Yes, but in the practicalities of it, there's not a whole lot that's new under the sun when it comes to these domains and these areas. So I don't want you running all over the place saying, I don't understand, I have to read the book again, I have to read two pen books. Take it from me, you don't need to. Now, I listen to the chatter on social media, the LinkedIn's of this world, the Facebook's of this world, and I can tell you, ain't nobody crying about the seventh edition saying, I wish I'd read it. Ain't nobody jubilating, whoa, I'm glad I read it because my exam had seventh edition stuff. No, you already know how the PMI roll. The way the PMI roll, they give you questions that are situational for the PMP. The CAPMs are probably gonna have to be a lot more in the weeds of this. But as far as PMP, take a look at the sixth edition. The sixth edition has a lot of process names and minutia, but people come out of the exam and they tell you, while there's a significant amount of process interaction, cramming the processes aren't gonna do you any good. So I would say, if you already know the flow of stuff, you're fine, okay? Don't obsess over it. Now we're very quickly going to round up here. Let's go into the very first domain, it's stakeholder. Like I said, identify, prioritize, monitor, understand them, engage them and analyze them. It's that simple. All right, turn off this, just so that you can see the screen properly. Team performance domain. Project team management and leadership is important. Project team culture is something you focus on. Of course, you need to create a high-performing team and have leadership skills. And then you've got to tailor your leadership style. And this is where we talk about things like situational leadership and the Hersey Blanchard model. Okay, moving on to the next domain. Next domain is the development approach and life cycle. All right, turn off the camera so you can see that. So it has relationships uh, between... Uh, the life cycle relationship, uh, development cadence, delivery cadence, development approaches. So if you're already familiar with adaptive, 
uh, predictive, all that stuff, uh, hybrid. All they're saying here is you got to tailor what you're doing to your projects. You've got to be aware of the delivery cadence, the development approach. You've got to consider uh, which life cycle to select. And you've got to be aware of how to align the delivery cadence, the development approach, and the life cycle. Next one here is the planning domain. If you've read those 24, the 24 processes that are in planning, that's the summary. So here we have an overview of planning, variables of planning are talked about. And like I said, you've read that page 25 and you understand the 24 processes in planning. To be quite honest, you're golden. There's nothing to freak out about. Let's take a look at the variables that PMI talk about here. It's quite a large chapter for obvious reasons. So in 2.4.1 or 2.4.2 rather, we have planning variables. We have development approach, project deliverables, organizational requirements, market, con a lot of stuff, but it's stuff you already know. You already know how to plan schedule, cost, scope, risk, procurement, stakeholder. Done, okay? 2.4.3 says project team composition and structure, 2.44 communications, physical resources, procurement changes, metrics and alignment. Those are things to plan. We already know that. We already know that, right? Can you send me a chat so that I know these things make sense for you? Do they make sense? Send me a sign, my friends, in the chat. <laughs> oh, AB Lobos, you're funny. That was funny. Let, let's, let, let's reveal that funny chat. Thank you very much. Awesome, awesome. I missed some of the chats there. All right, we're going to move on uh, real speedily here. So thank you, Chandra. Thank you very much. All right, let's move on to uh, the next one. Next one here is a project work performance domain. So it says project processes. The project manager and the project team establish and periodically review the processes the project team is using to conduct the work, balance competing constraints, maintain project team focus, project communications and engagement are important. Of course, this is project work. Remember, managing physical resources, working with procurement, monitoring new work and changes, and learning throughout the project. These are all things you probably are already aware of. 2.6. Delivery performance domain. It says delivery of value. So delivery of value is very important. You got to ask yourself, how best should we be delivering this value? You could deliver value all at once, or you could deliver value in increments. It says the delivery performance domain activities addresses activities and functions associated with delivering the scope and quality that the product was undertaken to achieve. So here we have a few high-level definitions, requirements, WBS, definition of done, quality, cost of quality, stuff that you've already heard of. So there's nothing new here, all right? One of the cool things I must say that I quite enjoyed in this uh, edition was 2.6.4, suboptimal outcomes. It says, all projects attempt to deliver outcomes though some 
may fail to do so or may produce suboptimal outcomes. The potential for suboptimal outcomes exists in every project. In the case of a fully experimental project, the organization is attempting to achieve a breakthrough, such as creation of a completely new technology, for example. This requires deliberate investment in an uncertain outcome. So what they're saying is, you are going to be faced with instances where you have suboptimal outcomes. So what should you do? It says some projects may fail to deliver outcomes because the market opportunity has passed. It's not your fault, crazy COVID, hey. Or competitors were first to market with their offering. Sorry, Samsung, you know who beat you to market. Or were you just, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Effective project management can minimize negative outcomes, but such possibilities are part of the uncertainty of attempting to produce a unique deliverable. So there's gonna be uncertainty, like it or not, they're gonna be suboptimal outcomes, learn your lessons, move on. Number seven, this I must say is probably my most favorite of all of these domains because it adds something new. And it's the measurement performance domain. Now, what I really like about it, you can go read it yourself. I won't go into the details tonight. Other questions about what to measure and for you to really give thought to the KPIs that you're tagging onto your project because not every KPI is value add. That's really what this is saying. So establish effective measures. Don't reward the team for finding defects because they're going to be in cahoots with the developers, the testers and developers in cahoots. And you're saying, if you find defects, we'll reward you. How many defects did you find? That's a very poor measurement, don't do that. So know what to measure, present information, measurement pitfalls. This is one of the ones I really enjoyed. Two, seven, four, those pitfalls when it comes to measuring, right? Very good paragraph for you to read. Let's take a quick look. Measurement pitfalls. Project measurements help the team meet the project objectives. However, there are some pitfalls associated with measurement. Awareness of these pitfalls can help minimize their negative effect. The Hawthorne effect. It states that the very act of measuring something influences behavior, just like my example. You're gonna have people trying to put bugs in there to help their friends. This is a real story from one of Roy's projects, by the way. Vanity metric. A vanity metric is a measure that shows data, but does not provide useful information. Oh my goodness, demoralization. If measures and goals are set that are not achievable, the project team's morale may fall. Misusing the metrics, beating the team up because their velocity is low, poor, very poor. Confirmation bias. As humans, we tend to look for and see information that supports our pre-existing point of view. And the last one is correlation versus causation. A common mistake interpreting measurement data is focusing the correlation of two variables with the data that one causes the other. For example, seeing projects that are behind schedule and over budget might infer that projects that are over budget cause schedule issues. This is not true. Rather interesting thoughts that were not in any previous PEMBOK guide. And we're almost down to the final one, the uncertainty performance domain. And the uncertainty performance domain looks at general uncertainty, 
looks at what ambiguity, complexity, and volatility have to do with uncertainty, and then takes a wholesome look at risk. Now, if you haven't taken a look at the video of all PMBOK guide seven outputs, I would advise you to look for my video on it. I have a video on all of the outputs. I'm gonna put a link here in our YouTube and in the uh, Zoom. So let's go ahead and do that. That's the one in Zoom. Let's go to YouTube. Let's put that in there. So if you want to continue this journey with me and you wanna go through all, every single one of the outputs, if the seventh edition is that interested to you, I won't begrudge you. You could go watch my video. That's why I put this stuff out. But the final chapters of the seventh edition, it really focuses on models, methods, and artifacts. So what I did in this video was I covered all the PMBOK guide seventh editions plans and documents. So you could say the artifacts, all of those artifacts. As far as the methods and models, when I get enough interest, when I see enough interest, I'm going to create another video that covers ALL. I mean, all of those, but I want to get enough uh, interest. I don't see a lot of interest, like hardly anyone's watched this video, you know, because people now, I just look at the sixth edition, I get the pretty much the full story. So there's one page that you can refer to, to look at the laundry list. And this is one of the good things about the seventh. It's the summary pages. So you could just look down page 182, as far as the methods and the models. And as far as the artifacts, just look down, I'll give you the page in a second, page 193. 193, 194, 195. I covered all of those in that video, all right? And that concludes our review of the PMBOK Guide, seventh edition, 2022 version. All right, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. I'll be very happy to answer them. Those of you on YouTube, you got any questions, now's a good time. Okay, our friends on Zoom, thank you very much. Uh, Chandra, Carice, Esther, Tanya, uh, Kareem, uh, Devin, it was nice to see you and everyone else who came through. Um, A.B. Lobos, uh, Ebony, uh, Brandon, and all our friends on YouTube who chatted in. Uh, Trini Dogla and Live9, Nine, Nine Knowledge, thank you very much. Uh, if you have any questions in the future, just put uh, a comment uh, under the video. All right. Thank you all very much. We on Zoom are going to sign out for now. And I just wanna remind you of a few more things, few more things. So if you haven't got the PMP exam immersion book, you can just go on down to our website. It's praision.com. That's P-R-A-I-Z-I-O-N.com as spelled on the screen here. And uh, if you haven't downloaded our app, we got some things in the app. You can just download it from the Android store look for the PMP exam immersion app, and you can actually follow me right there on your phone for 10 hours, right? You got to subscribe though for the 10 hours, but you've got a bunch of other free videos and free content, all right? So if that's something that's of interest to you, go on down to the Google store and look for the PMP exam immersion app as well. All right, thank you all very much. We're going to be signing off. See you very soon.
Bye for now.